Hi there, thanks for tuning in to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 21, and today I'm chatting with Fiona Mombay. First thing, you can uh, become a patron of the podcast on Patreon. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash jazz violin podcast. Um, you, uh, basically, you donate a small amount of money to the podcast every month, or you can just do a one-off if you want as well. Um, it's a way to help me with the running costs, the blah, 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 blah. I've done this before. You understand what it is. Another little thing I want to chat about is the London Django Collective. So I'm, I know I don't tend to spend much of my time um, talking about my own projects on here because I don't want to do that too much. But uh, in this instance, we've just brought out a little sort of a single or an EP. Um, it's out on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, all the places. Um, it's the Lon- Just search for it, the London Django Collective. And you will be able to check out our new music. We're coming out with new music every, uh, every month for the next little while. And uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. So yeah, check it out. Um, okay, so my guest today is Fiona Mombay. Fiona is a, sort of a protege of Didier Lockwood. Um, who sadly is no, no longer with us. But Fiona is an amazing violinist, you know, based in Paris. She has so many strings to her bow. Oh, Jesus. Um, does, you know, has studied classically and, cons- and continues to study classically, um, conducting. And uh, she's a great composer as well. Uh, she's just come out with an album. Well, when I say just, it was last year, but sort of, it's really, really great. Contraband. Uh, I think you're listening to it right now. Yeah, we had a nice chat. Sadly, the sound's not amazing because we uh, we had real limited time because Fiona's very busy. So we had to do the episode over Skype and Fiona was in a cafe, which was it ended up being a little bit busier than we thought it might be. So the sound's not amazing, but you can just about hear what's going on. And it was a real interesting chat. So uh, without further ado, please... Uh, Give it up for Fiona Mombay. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks a lot for chatting. Um, I just basically start with how you started playing violin, if that's all right. How I started playing violin? Um... Well, I was, uh, I went to the little conservatory in my village uh, near Paris. Do you hear me? It's okay? Yes. Yes. And then, um, so that was for basically classical, classical violin studies. Um, and I had started the piano a few years before when I was four or five. Um, and when I was 10 years old, my, my parents brought me to a concert um, near where we lived. Uh, in Saint Germain, and that was DJ uh, Lockwood playing yeah. um, at his festival, Les Violons Croisés. 
And I didn't want to go there the first, but when I was there and I listened to him, I saw this uh, other way to play the violin. And I went to, we went to buy a CD at the end and we stopped speaking to him and it was very nice and he proposed to to come and do a little um, academy uh, the next summer. And, and then we, we he decided to take me uh, um, for for lessons um, all year long and, and for actually um, ten years. And so that was my beside the conservatory in classical where I did more can I say um, the classical studies. I was uh, seeing every week Didier Lockwood and learning jazz violin with him. Okay, that's amazing. So, like, from what age was that? Sorry, I was ten. Okay, when I met him. Okay, and then so yes. what? You had ten years of lessons with Didier. Well, seven years, um, seven years, and then he started uh, bringing me with him, uh, touring mm. uh, sometimes or on concerts, presenting yeah. me. So that it was then sort of uh, becoming a collaboration yeah. uh, between us. Yeah. And, in different projects. We went to London actually called Jingo Drum, who was with Tony Gatliff. Yeah. Um, we went to Barbican Centre with this, and it was in, in 2011. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah. I think I've seen, well, I've seen a video of that. Um, yeah. So would, would you say that Didier um, had a big influence on your playing? Sounds like it. Of course, yeah. Um, uh, I was listening only to his music, actually. I didn't care about jazz at all. <laughs> and I was just listening to the his violin because I, and he had his, his great way of playing. Afterwards, I discovered the other violinists. Yes. Uh, like Stéphane Grappelli and yeah. etc. But I always really loved his uh, way of playing, DJ. Wow, really yeah. So that's so violin. funny that, that you heard Didier Lockwood before you heard Grappelli. Yeah, okay. I didn't. I mean, I maybe had one CD of Grabelli at, at the house. Yeah. But I, I was, I was really not into jazz at all. Yeah. And I didn't want to listen to it. I was listening to more classical music. Yeah. Um, and the the only CDs I accepted to hear were Lydia Lokoops, uh -huh. the tribute to Grabelli. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care about Grabelli. I did like the tribute. But yes. but then it was when I was yeah eighteen nineteen I really started listening to Kathy. Yeah. Okay. Great master. Yeah. So did you um did you come from like a musical family? Um. Well, no. Um. Father is a, was teacher in in physics chemie. I don't know how you say it. Uh, physical and, and chemistry. Oh yeah, like yeah, physics. Yeah. Yeah, physics. Yeah. Yeah. And he came from a family of making wine in France. Uh -huh. And my mother, she's Irish, and she was she's a lawyer. Ah, okay. But she does well, like a lot of Irish and English people, um, they have a musical uh, background, yeah. always singing. Like, I don't know like the yeah. choirs, a lot of choirs and, and, and traditional music. So. She she was uh, very much into improvisation and she has a piano and she's always on the piano. I mean, she's a very artistic person, so I think I just always listen to music mm -hmm. you know, with her. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, because um, it, 
it can be funny not coming from a really musical family, but then trying to go into that world professionally. Um, well, yes, they, they sometimes my parents they still don't understand actually. Uh, <laughs> well, they were really reassured when I went into the Paris Conservatory and classical ballet mm-hmm. because for them it was an institution. Yeah. But I sometimes didn't really understand when I was going uh, on tour with um, a gypsy, <laughs> yeah. gypsy friends <laughs> <laughs> when I was 18, 19. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, talking of uh, gypsies or a gypsy, you, I guess you, you've done, you've been in the sort of gypsy jazz world quite a lot as well as the sort I of... was, um, I, I did meet Christian Escudé, uh-huh. a jazz guitarist. I was replacing, uh, in 2008, Florine Nicolescu. Right. Who was, uh, who had a sickness at that time and, and, he was playing the Gypsy Project of Christian Escudé with Marcel Azola, I think, and Daryl Hall at the bass. Uh-huh. Um, and so I replaced him uh, for one or two years tour mm-hmm. with, with Christian. Um, and by DJ, I had met Virelli uh, Lagren mm-hmm. um, and Stockel Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. And then I was uh, playing a lot with Steve Lafon. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a young guitarist from the south of France. Yes. And then, you know, just, just start meeting more and more people yeah. in this, in this uh, big family of, of gypsy music. Mm-hmm. And I, I play less now because I have been um, continuing the classical studies and, and making my own music and my own project. It is a little different now from, from the gypsy, but I love sometimes taking just my violin and and meeting with friends uh, like Adrien Moignard, Sébastien Junior, yeah. and, and start playing this music again with them. Yeah. But it has to, probably it has to be a, something not... Um, uh, it's always a synonym of, of um, good time and, and uh, La Fête, the, the party time, and yeah. for me, this music. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. So that, that's, that's your relationship with Gypsy Jazz is... Yes. You see it like... Uh, mm-hmm. You see, like good times, fun. Yes, yes. Besides that, I'm I'm having a um, I'm studying conducting, for example, and I have an ensemble in Paris which is dedicated to a contemporary opera. Ah. So uh, so much fun, but less party times. Yes, <laughs> sure. So well, I, I like having this this. This thing beside always that I know I will, I can just take out my violin and play and, and it's very simple. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's different sort of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um. So you released quite a well. Actually, no. Before we go into that, it'd be just be interesting to know like how you um, how you went from just playing classical music uh, into learning jazz and some of the some of like the the things that you did or that you did with Didier to to um to to get you into it to get you playing it uh are we are we talking about technical yeah things? it can be yeah, yeah. 
so because I never I never stopped the classical studies actually yes. because I think and it's my personal um, way of thinking and we were disagreeing with DJ on that but I think the violin is a very difficult instrument and you need to have a, a technique to uh, even if you start late even if you discover the violin late but if you have to to find um, a way to be at ease with the instruments and some people don't need the classical music they can uh, invent their own way there's so much so many ways of learning an instrument but for my for my sake i needed to have something very uh, um, um, uh, rigorous yes um, so when you're doing the conservatory you have to do all these concertos all this uh, technical and etudes um, and so you just start really knowing the instrument better and better. But I mean, DJ never did uh, conservatory in classical. He started, he stopped the classical when he was 16. So and he just invented his own way. And so I think there's no, yeah. um, there's no good or bad way to do it. But um, for me, it was always important. But at the beginning, when I was learning with DJ, there's this thing about the jazz. Well, his way of playing actually, that he plays a lot with the fingers yeah. and not with the arm because he's always amplified, which mm. is not the case of Capelli, who had this sort of. Well, I don't know how he taught the. Uh, how he learned the violin Capelli, but he has this sort of classical sound also and he could play non amplified and yeah. he had a great sound. DJ was always amplified. So he was trying to learn me to play with the finger. So you have so much more dexterity, yeah. And to focus really on the rhythm and on the swing, which is something um, with the classical music that you don't learn. You're in the rapport more horizontal with the classic. Yeah. Uh, you know the violin is on the shoulder and you're looking up and you have to concentrate on going left and right with your bow. And Didier was learning how to be more vertical, near the ground, and, and when you are, um, how do you say, tirer the bow, um, when you are uh, doing a, uh, not an upbeat, but a downbeat, yes. and you have to go to the ground, and the upbeat is more, it was, yeah, more vertical way of playing, okay. which is really interesting, but was really um, difficult when I was going back to the classical thing, because I had a really weird sound. Yes. And, and... This has been quite. Um, I had a sort of switch to one um, way of playing to the other mm-hmm. um, all the time, and it was a bit um, dodgy sometimes for me. But now, well, then when you uh, um, evolve, you just have to find your own way of playing really. And, yeah. and I found I was more and more bringing all together into just something like this, just my sound. Yes. Yeah. So playing less with the finger, but still I have this thing that he taught me, which is great to go really fast, but then playing with more length and mm-hmm. and, and bounce. Yeah, that's that's the real like. That's very common, I think. I think just like the the, even just the um, going between playing amplified and not. If you play a lot of amplified violin, and then you have to go and play with nice tone, nice full tone and cut above anything. It's so difficult. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, I can, I think that's what yeah. a lot of people on this podcast have, have said, but I can imagine, because yeah, Didier's way of playing, the the finger thing. I mean, the thing is, I used to really 
I used to like really try and sound like Didier Lockwood when I was first getting into playing playing jazz, and I don't speak any French. And any of the videos that you see of Didier, uh, where he's talking about his his technique, he's all in French, and I just had to sort of maybe yeah, work it out. <laughs> his English was very poor. <laughs> okay. um, yes. But yeah, it's, well, it's something that I feel yeah. like I've had a, a sl- maybe probably not to the same degree as you, but there was definitely a point when I, as a player, because I'm a I'm a violinist as well, so yeah. Um, when I, as a player, tried to, uh, you know, try, suddenly realized, hey, I don't have a good sound because I've just been playing with this pickup and I've been trying to sound like Didier Lockwood. And, like, that's an amazing sound. I mean, I could never have his sound, but it's a great sound for a pickup. But as soon as you try and, yeah, try and play acoustically, it doesn't always work. No, whereas Rappelli does, because Rappelli is playing just under mics. It's in... It's interesting, interesting when you're doing a concert sometimes to because the 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 cellular thing is a is a facility option because with a little bit of reverb you know, your violin will sound always really great. Yeah. But trying sometimes I mean I like challenge sometimes in, in concerts and playing just with the mic and up above or mm-hmm. yeah and or even acoustic in a big uh, room and yeah. bringing the people to come really and listen to what ha- not not having a big sound that you just like, mm-hmm. goes away and goes to their face but just bringing them to come with you on stage with their attention yeah and, and sometimes the music goes so much um, yeah it, it goes very far in the emotion intimacy when you do that yeah um, I my first CD was a bit electric I was really young and playing with the same with, with drums and guitar and, and clavier mm-hmm. but my second mm-hmm. one just went, came out in November and it's actually completely acoustic with the accordion yeah. guitar Antoine Boyer on the guitar yeah. and Dan Carverion in the double bass mm-hmm. and I wanted to have really this chamber music sound mm. uh, that you could do anywhere in the bar in the, in your room in the, or in a big uh, concert hall with a little mic or you know mm-hmm. I wanted to and even your your way of playing the violin uh, becomes different when you are obliged to be acoustic sometimes mm-hmm. yeah yeah I 100% agree um, I think it was I was listening to like Cha Limburger playing, you know, always playing acoustic that made me like yeah. really start thinking about that and enjoying the idea of you know trying to play acoustic more often. And you know, you with uh, playing acoustic, you can have a really rock sound also. Mm-hmm. I mean, then it's a way of really how you attack the chord and everything. But it's interesting to to find um, the most different colors. Acoustic, because then when you improvise, it's much more easier mm. if you want. Mm. But um, you, you can have um, fifty sound, different sounds, even just an acoustic. Yeah, yeah. Going to Fredendo to really rock sound. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. There's a you know there's so many sounds on the violin. You know before you even start thinking about electronics, etc. Yeah. Um. So one of the thing like. So aside from the technique thing that you were doing, that 
that you had to do to get from classical music to jazz? What, like, how did you go about learning harmony and learning how to uh, to express harmony in your playing and and to learn the chords and you know how did you go around the chords harmony well i guess like improvising over harmony i wasn't a big uh, theories uh, into theories and i wasn't going to the harmony lessons you weren't Um, you were not into it no, ah. I, I I really couldn't be bothered at the time. <laughs> um, I was doing only the le- the violin lessons at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, and and um, yeah, I I because I was going to school and everything, I was doing the classical harmony thing, but I couldn't go to the harmony lessons, and I didn't think at the beginning it was really useful with what Didier was uh, just working on the blues so I was just trying to learn how to swing and and, and, and to phrase and everything so at the beginning I wasn't really uh, in this and actually that came quite um, late uh, it's a enormous word the harmony yeah. <laughs> and it's endless so um, so now I'm actually learning a lot, a lot now but uh, yeah. at the time not too much and um, oh, it's interesting yeah I didn't even know how to actually until not so long ago I was always sort of pretending to read the uh, read the parts of course in the parts and uh, I'm not proud of that but anyway um that's because actually, yeah, I was playing in this sort of not very horizontal way. Mm-hmm. I was um, waiting for the chord to come, and then I just by ear was doing the scale on it. And that changed because now I really love the, to develop the melody thing. And I mean, you can, of course, go into the um, learn how to phrase um, very difficult chords and everything, but I was starting to be attracted by the melody running through all the all the tune mm-hmm. and all the chords sort of. and um, and so I um, yeah, it's still a lot of, of listening and the ear and everything, but but it's at this point that I started looking uh, more to the chorus and, and how many things. Um, but it's still um, very much intuitive mm-hmm. in my case and not so much um, uh, um, cerebral yes. to theorize, yeah. actually. That's great. That's amazing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened like that. Yeah. I mean, I think I had... Um, I mean, it's probably a choice, but but I when I went in when I uh, finished high school, I had the choice of going in the conservatory in jazz to mm-hmm. learn all this theory things yeah. and harmony and rhythm and etc., or get into conservatory in classical and just learn how to play better violin. Mm-hmm. And I actually went into the classical thing, so I I know less than. Um, 
I mean, I'm, I'm less. Uh, um, well, I didn't do five years uh, of, of uh, intense theory uh, on yeah. this. So then the instrument of the violin is so particular then you can find so many things also like searching in the idiom of the violin and it's one of them so um and so uh, sorry for my english no no it's great <laughs> it's um one of the oldest instruments you know the violin and you have so much repertoire and all the repertoire that has been um, written for the violin is so well written for this instrument. So for me, it was another way to to uh, be being acquainted with the instruments, uh, also in the, with the harmonies, because in classical or in jazz, you're doing uh, always the same major, minor scales, um, dominant scales, and when you're playing a piece of Bach or when you're playing uh, an Anatole, I mean, it's pretty much the same. And then it's, it's how you play, how you are. And, and, um, but I was, um, yeah, more into working all the technique and, and by the technique of the violin, uh, uh, going into the harmony more than being in front of a piano and searching, mm -hmm. which is what I'm, more doing yeah. now yeah oh cool yeah it's great I mean so many there's so many different ways of doing it eh? and like I think yeah and there isn't a good way or a bad way also. no that's very important because yeah. each one has his his way no absolutely and I love speaking with other violins because uh, I mean because I don't know if you know Matas maybe yeah he's a French violinist and he has a uh, completely different um um, parcours. I mean, we, we, we met uh, at Didier School also, but he was completely into jazz and even I think he started with rock music uh, before that. And he was not into classical music. He's a, he's a great friend actually. And I love, I love exchanging with him, but it's really funny how uh, we, love, we do have the same sort of music now, but but we come from so different uh, backgrounds mm. uh, in our music research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is interesting. Another thing is as well, the violin doesn't really lend itself to like learning harmony and theory. It's like really difficult to work it out on the violin. I feel. Yeah. If you play the piano, like piano players, they just sort like they sort of. By learning to play, they know what the harmony is because it's just like a big theory machine. Yeah. Like the violin is just this big black board with like some strings yeah. on it. And it's, it's like what and is it? There's so much. It's so complicated. It's so sore. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> to have a nice sound, it, it takes so much time. So yeah. um, we have to be indulgent with that. It's normal that we are a little less sometimes yeah. <laughs> aware of how yeah. many things. So did was there Didier? Uh, he was. Did he? He wasn't too um, technical with theory and things like that when in his teaching then. No, not at all. Right. I mean, um, he was a very instructive. Yeah. Um, and he had invented though this uh, schema thing. Um, he had invented this um, imprints uh, thing with the 
with the minus game, for example, would be this. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, putting always your first finger on the note, like la, si, do, re, mi, fa, sa, la. Uh -huh. The major would be this. Yeah. So he had worked out something like that. But I, well, I did study that with him, but very quickly I, I had the impression that himself he was rather playing really. He had a great ear, and he was always playing by ear all the time. And I think I learned how to do that also. Mm. Ah, so yes, really interesting. And it, you know, it's nice to hear people because saying that you know stuff like not not bothering with theory so early. Because I think if you like look on the internet and say like you know if you Google how to play jazz, you're just going to get a lot of information like this information that you bypassed, and you might learn all that information or you might practice some of that information, but it's not going to make you sound great. <laughs> it, no, no. It might do at some point. It probably will at some point, you know, down lo, le, longer down the road. But it's not like a fast track into playing. No, well, I, I I agree with that, and I have been giving some lessons sometimes to a group of people. I was in Django and June once, mm -hmm. twice. Um, I was uh, in Tim Cliffwis camp. Oh yeah. And I was in Barcelona. Yeah. And um, I remarked that sometimes, well, the first thing is that improvisation for violinists, um, because maybe of the instruments um, that is so in institutionalized and, and traditional instruments, and, and so much people want to learn how to improvise, and they, they're scared. Of it, and sometimes when you, it happened to me to ask someone just play whatever comes uh, in your head and, and just play it. And, and some people were so stressed that they start to cry. And I realized that um, the the theory thing and that actually blocks people that they yeah. have the impression they can't play because they don't know sufficiently this thing. Just just take a blues and with two notes. Uh, that's how I learned actually. DJ learned me to play a blues in F, and he said to me, "You, you have only the right to play uh, two notes and swing for five minutes with two notes." Mm. And I was there, like, da, 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 and searching how to do do your bow like a drum player, mm. and I mean. He um he was right in that way that you don't have to you don't have to be technically good in violin or at the beginning technically um, very aware of harmony and rhythm uh, to express yourself just you know <laughs> you can you can some some great blues player have no technique at all but it's they just make you cry so and and um. It's just um, everybody has some something to say, mm -hmm. and because sometimes, of course, if you have a great vocabulary, you could say it in a beautiful way, um, in a very um, and, and and make it very intense and comprehensible. But um, you, you can you can also say. Uh, that today is a lovely day and the sun is shining and everybody can say that and you can say it with two notes 
if you just like um, it's, it's a, a lot of for me it's a lot of the thing of being very uh, honest yeah. and if you don't know all the technical things but you, you can still say simple, simple things in a simple way and that everybody can do it yeah. in my lesson I really like to to show to people that they just they can completely do it it's just little blockage sometimes because of this thing of having the impression that you're never allowed to and that's a great thing the violinists never think themselves allowed to they always have the impression there and it's a, it's a violinist thing the nibbles of the violinists you have the impression that they are they will always be not good enough mm. I think yeah. it's really this instrument this instrument um, gives this impression to a lot of people I, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's not like a piano where you do this, this, mm -hmm. and you have notes, and it's yeah. it's so complicated and it just makes so much people suffer at the beginning. This is the thing with violin. Yeah. Um. Mm. I understand. I totally get it, and I and I and I agree with you that it shouldn't be cerebral and it shouldn't be like just thinking before you hear basically but what I, and and I also understand that everyone has something to say and that you can come out with simple music that moves everybody but what I, what's what what strikes me is that you yourself and Didier both you some of the mu like the music that's coming out of you it's not simple but you're still doing it completely uncerebrally and it's just coming out and you perhaps when you were first starting out you didn't know what that stuff was but it was still coming and it's still quite complex quite complex lines it's running through the chords of the of the song that's what that that side of things i don't understand how you because like i don't think i could ever have improvised like that if i didn't know what was happening so yeah i don't know Oh, it's a question of reflex afterwards. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing, but but if when you have been doing this for ten or twenty years, well, your language uh, is becoming fluent. Yes. And I think it's just music is a well, you, you don't look very intelligent when you do that. It's, it is a language. Yeah. Uh, the music. So uh, when you the more you, you speak it, the more you, yeah. you play it, the more it becomes uh, um, easier and the. The way I think where you learn the most is playing in concerts yes. and taking risks in concerts. But, but when you go fast on the violin, and you on the, in French we say double mm -hmm. because you double the notes and you start mm -hmm. making really fast notes. And I remember the the day. Um, when I was listening to DJ, he was doing notes all over the place, and I was—I really wanted to play like that, but I couldn't because I didn't have the technique. I didn't have the, and I was just doing the uh, tunes of playing just do ba 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 ba, and then I was trying to go faster and like falling fell down. Yeah. So, and I remember the the day where just the hand went on and I was surprised myself like, oh this is going fast what was happening yeah and I mean it was just happening because it was um, a few years I was it was it's 
are always uh, um, evolving in your head, even when you're sleeping and you. And so, um, you always tend to to you always tend to what you want to do in the end. And then you have ways to, for example, playing fast and giving the impression. Uh, it's you know exactly what you're doing. I don't. I'm not sure of that. When you play fast, uh, the finger goes their own way sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Of course, when you're in a ballad in a slow, in a slow, uh, you you can really think of what how, what what color you're going to put there and what is the the drawing you're going to do in this improvisation. But when it's going fast, except for for genius probably that are um, having their brains going at the speed of, of, of uh, Danny Quavers. Uh, that's not my case and uh, I don't think that was DJ's case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't because he told that to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we develop um, things. Just for example, he was uh, asking me to practice um, on, on uh, I Grip Rhythm, for example. Da, 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 da. And he was saying, now you improvise and you never stop quavers. So uh, the big, so that means. So that's only G major, okay? But the A part is only G major. So at the beginning, you're playing on G major and you stop and then you. And you, know, you, you focus on your, your fingers and you force them to to know uh, where to go when you're in G major. And, and when they are starting to be at ease and they can automatically, mechanically uh, play non-stop on G major, well, then you have, you have, you are technically free enough to start it saying to them, oh, now go up, go down, go down, do a, you know, um, roundabout and go down again and, and then you can design um, to draw a line with what you're doing. And that, that's um, a mix between between something idiomatic and the violin, which is, um, uh, yeah, bringing your fingers to... to to know by themselves the music also, and that's um, and use your brain to um, to think. For example, uh, in the more um, um, well, when you're sometimes I'm playing uh, very fast on, on my on my uh, left hand, and instead of thinking. Of being in the presence and thinking like, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying, okay, this is going fast now, and the B part is arriving, and I want to bring this up to the very uh, high note of the violin on the B part, and this is going to have a, a real, um, no, it's like uh, telling a story. It's like, Going to have a really exciting effect if I can. So you just bring up your hand, and sometimes you do a post note. But that's not that's okay. You don't you don't care about that. Mm. And you arrive on your B with the very high note, and it's like ah, oh, yeah, I did it. And so it's it's all about sometimes leaving some responsibility to your hands mm. and and think just further and uh, think more about the um, the sense of how you're going to. Uh, 
um, built the chorus more than original talking to play. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, really. That's yeah, for sure. And it, you know, it's refreshing to hear that, and I think it'll be refreshing for people to hear that. It's the jazz on the violin is much less complicated than everybody thinks. <laughs> Definitely, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you have always some people to to uh, speak in a way that you have the impression you're. It's. Uh, it's uh, only for geniuses, <laughs> not at all. It's not. It's a question of reflex. No. It's a question of reflex, and everybody um, has something to say and must say it. Agreed. Yeah, if it was only for geniuses, I wouldn't be doing it, I don't think. <laughs> well, me neither, probably. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, um, could you tell me a couple, because you've had, so you've done, you've released like two albums, right? Mm -hmm. First one was influenced by Irish music. And uh, yeah, would you be able to tell me a bit about those those recordings? Oh, this is my first sidebar album. Uh -huh. um, it's how can I say that? Um, I don't like recordings. No, and I'm a live I'm a live person. Yeah, um, I like when there's public in the hall and everything. Yeah. But I mean, the opportunity was there. I actually did the first album that I did never release, the very first one with standards, jazz, piano, um, drums, and double bass. Yeah. Uh, so this one, maybe I will release it when I'm uh, 80 years old. <laughs> oh, by the way, that was the first. It's quite nice, actually. Same, quite well on it. But I think it was too much near... I mean, it's a very long story, but it was too much uh, in DJ style. And I realized that um, uh, I wanted to do something that, you know, the adolescence crisis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was my first adolescence crisis with DJ. Uh. <laughs> he understood it at the end. But I, I went out and I did something much more pop <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, electric. Um so that was the first album. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, interesting, but when I listen to it now, I feel it's a bit misty, and okay. it feels like I don't really know where I'm going and doing something so much different than was what I was doing in life with the Gypsy project and everything. I mean, it's uh, uh, exper experimentation. Then Contrebande is the, the latest one, and this is really much more near my personality. Mm. Uh, I am defending uh, music I, I really love to listen and play. Um, uh, very in the very simple. I, I want very simple things. So there is a valse. There's a tango. There is a, um, another valse. There is a. Um, a Brazilian song, Lisa from Jodine. And um, my point was to, yeah, in a very simple way, that the key conductor was just sound, and bringing the violin and the accordion to have a sort of um, symbiosis, and then the guitar and the uh, bass giving this small jazz sound, but. Um, Going through uh, a lot of different kinds and styles of music, but with one and only sound, mm -hmm. a group sound, really. and, um, and having this space for the violin. I mean, not 
And I was sick of playing very contemporary, difficult stuff. So I wanted very, I, I, I knew that having the most simple songs with the most simple, simplest uh, chords uh, would allow me to be so much free, freer. Uh, do you say that? Freer. Yeah. Well, more free. free, so much more free. Yeah, yeah. Freer, free freer is a word. It is. Yeah. I mean, I know that with uh, sometimes four major chords, I can, I can um, bring things, bring the chords in a more complex way. That if the com the, the chords are complex at the beginning, where you're a bit stuck and uh, I can't go on the E flat because this is something you know. I re I really wanted something very 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 simple so I can be uh, completely free in my way of the mind. I think that's that was what we did in the, this thing. And I'm working now on my third album. Cool. Um, what? How, how far into the process of your third album are you? Um, probably will be out next autumn. Okay. Uh, so that's next year, mm -hmm. and um, I'm doing the first big concert uh, in Paris this 30th of October at La Cigale, mm -hmm. and so it's the same process I would, I would say that Contrebande, which is just the concept will be playing all the music I love, but. Um, this is pushed into an extreme thing because it's with a symphonic well, a chamber orchestra, 20 musicians, um, a jazz band and a folk guitar player. And there will be classical music, jazz music and Irish music. And none of the styles are, it's not a question of crossover, I don't, I don't like crossover. I don't like uh, putting some jazz into classical music. Or, but my idea is to to work on all the transitions that um, when that means that when the, the public is in the room, it, he wouldn't say, "Oh, that's baroque music. I I I I, less, I like less this less jazz. I prefer jazz." Or, but all the music appear. Um, in a very smooth way, and but they are playing the way authentically. So I will be conducting the concert. I'll be playing the violin, classical violin, jazz violin, and all that will just be a um, long piece of music for one hour, uh, going into different worlds with uh, well, great musicians around me. will be 23 people on stage the 30th of October. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. It's quite, must be quite difficult for the, uh, for the brain to like go flip between conducting classical violin and jazz violin in yeah. like one hour or whatever, however long it is. Uh, yeah, actually, I don't know. Uh, I think I must really take holiday just before because <laughs> <laughs> I had the first rehearsal two days ago yeah. and uh, I was wrecked. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that yeah. could be like stress as well, you know. That mm -hmm. can definitely, definitely put you down. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, sounds amazing. Sounds like you're uh, yeah, pushing exciting. yourself. Yeah. Which, is, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, I just turned out 30 last week. Oh, right. So I think that's just the, the, 
the age to have the challenge yeah. of uh, yeah, trying something that really that really uh, corresponds to what I want to do and, and bringing also together my different um, I mean I have been studying so much classical music and it and when I play just classical music I miss jazz so I just want to have it stage when I just can do what I want yeah sounds great hey you you, you were in London for like a year right Do, was that right uh, six months I was in the Royal Academy Yes, yeah. Yeah, studying there. I think a couple of my friends said that you guys maybe did gigs together, like Robin Katz. Yeah, what's her name? Yeah, Robin, yeah. And uh, Jeremy, Robin and, uh, Jeremy Coulon, he's a French yeah, guy. That's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a French guy. And there was in. another one also. Um, by Robin and, and Dave. Dave Ahmed? No, no, Dave. Yeah, I know. Dave uh, Archer? Yeah. Dave Archer, yeah. Yeah, I did a few gigs with him. Oh, cool, yeah. Wicked. But, I mean, London was terrible for... Uh, I mean, we ran this... this um, sometimes you just play in pubs, and it's not at all like in France, where when you play um, music, people sort of listen. We <laughs> were sometimes playing <laughs> in, in pubs, and, and I don't know how they... But I think they couldn't hear the music. Yeah. I mean, I had great fun, but uh, I said to myself, that maybe the... Not every pub is great for jazz. <laughs> well, that is a hundred percent true. I agree with yeah. that, and I think maybe the thing is, is London has like gigs everywhere, and maybe they could yeah. probably do with getting rid of like some of those gigs because <laughs> some of them are shit. <laughs> you know, I agree with you. There's, there's like a lot of them. A lot of these, yeah, a lot of the, no one's listening. Um, but yeah, there's there are some good places to play though, for sure. It's it's, it's okay, but. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, cool. Well, that's that. I think that that about does it. You, you've uh, that was great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. You've been listening to Fiona Mombay and me, Matt Holborn. Um, you can expect an extra episode yeah, either this month or next month. Um, it's going to be myself and a good friend of mine talking about uh, you know it's a surprise but um yeah please uh hold the line and wait for that um the other thing is today at the end we're going to be listening to a recording of the recording i mentioned at the beginning which is the new um ep the new single that's come out from my new project the london django collective um, so you're going to be listening to a tune written by Harry Diplock. It's called Samaro. Um, so please enjoy. Thanks very much for listening and uh, all this stuff. Like, share, subscribe, and blah, blah, blah. Bye, 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 bye.